Nation Red Pill, a podcast hosted by ORP Productions, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories and get right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears. And I'm Christopher Dean. Together, we're going to take you on a mind-bending journey across another aspect of this occult matrix, as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing, Snakehead's Alfred Kinsey, the father of the sexual revolution. Are the sexual practices of the West aided by the intellectual prowess of the modern age, or has the cult of science forced open the horrors and destruction of sexual perversion? We're going to talk about that and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill Snakeheads. Ladies, gentlemen, sexually wholesome and morally upstanding conservatives and the sexually liberated but often debased and perverse progressives. Everyone from across the podverse, welcome to another segment of Snakeheads, where we like to expose the key players in the synagogue of Satan, including both their matrix of control and the deceptive agendas being used to establish the new world order. Now, I know you hear something like that and you're going, what? You're going to talk about who? I don't know who this Kenzie guy is. I don't know why we're even really talking about this stuff. It sounds a little perverse to me. I think we need a little more Jesus. I hear you. I second that. But scripture tells us that we need to expose the works of darkness. We got to expose those things that are happening behind the scenes, in the back rooms, things that are going on that you don't want to talk about, things that need to be discussed. But me being one of upstanding moral code, I could not allow myself to get soiled with these levels of perversities. So thankfully, we serve a God that foresaw the need for me to have someone to send out into the highways and byways, someone who does not mind associating with the lower scums of the earth. And I put that in quotations because it's not my label that I place on them. That's their label. And I want you to know it is good to have a Christopher Dean because he does not mind in rubbing elbows, hopefully nothing else, with the people that are doing some of these things. Whatever it takes, he is committed to the cause of unearthing what is going on in these back rooms. So he has recently gone out, done the research, come back, had a biohazard shower and has cleaned himself from the filth, but is ready to report on what he has found. And I need you, ladies and gentlemen, to take a deep breath. Take your left hand, smack it to the right hand and put out the esoteric call and welcome my co-host, Mr. Christopher Filthy Adam Dean. How's it going, bro? I don't know, man. How you doing <laughs> over there? How you holding up? I, I'm holding it together. I'm holding it together. It's it's funny because typically I'm super excited to do an episode. Right. And and I, I want to do this one. Don't get me wrong, but my excitement is uh it's a little tainted. Just because the 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 content is not fun content to get into. You know what I mean? 
I do. In fact, bro, we need to issue a public service announcement because the content that we're going to get into today is probably not going to be suitable for sensitive listeners. So if you've got young ears around you or if you yourself are possibly triggered by strong sexual content, you may want to prayerfully consider listening to this episode because we are going to have to go into some detail to discuss some of the despicable things that Alfred Kinsey did in order to make our list as a snakehead and become the father of the sexual revolution. So many of the changes we see in society today are being normalized, which is ironically the last step in ideological subversion. Yet still, many people use the argument of normal as a defense against the so-called conservative view, almost as if something being normal somehow makes it morally good. If we would only stop and think about that for a minute, we'd see that that was complete nonsense. You know, in today's political landscape, it's normal to hear about senior government officials being caught up in some kind of sex abuse scandal, with a growing number of them being child sex abuse cases. In the not-so-distant past, it was normal for the Nazis to kill minorities. It was even normal for the Aztecs to drench their temples in blood as they sacrificed humans to pagan gods. In none of these cases, though, would we, as serious followers of Christ, actually argue that these things are or ever were justifiable. We've taken the time in other episodes to break down the two different types of normal. Yes, you have even talked about normal by design and normal by occurrence. Right, which actually raises the question, when it comes to human affairs, are we saying something should be considered normal because it's the way that people were designed to function or are we calling something normal simply because it's been done or accepted by the vast majority of people? That's an important distinction to make. And when we're looking back on the changes that society has undergone, it's obvious that these things that we see as normal by occurrence have become so by systematically executed agendas. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, those same agendas are crafted by the hands of the parasitic elite. But then this raises the question, by whose design and by what mind are certain societal views and the accompanying behaviors actually being normalized throughout society? What say ye? Bro, that is such an interesting question. Because the argument that something is normal and therefore must be permissible is only as legitimate as the ideologies such normalcy is actually based on. Okay, wait, you got to slow that down. Run that back by again. Um, The idea that something is normal and must be permissible, right? That's the argument. That argument is only as legitimate as the ideas that such normalcy is based on. Got you. Still don't understand. Bring it down for me again. (laughs) Okay, well, in looking at the sexual behavior in America today, we have to look at the ideologies that the quote-unquote science that it's based on, you know, we have to analyze what 
the, the, the practices, the techniques, the actual research? You know, what is the basis before we can actually openly accept such quote unquote normalization? Right? Got you. For some reason, that clicked so much better for me. I think I'm slow today. <laughs> it's all right. We'll, we'll work through it. We'll work through it. So, the, uh, for instance, the normalizing of transgenderism has really jumped on the bandwagon of the lesbian and gay movement that actually began as a mind control operation that started in 1989 with the book, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. So in this book, the authors, Kirk and Madsen, detail a specific plan to desensitize, jam, and convert the masses to accept homosexuality. Interestingly enough, these are the textbook steps of brainwashing. How so? Because I think we talked about this before in prior episodes, but for people that are new to the game, let's bring them up to speed well. on how these actually <laughs> apply here as a textbook steps for brainwashing. Okay, so desensitizing is that you, you saturate the culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, for instance, in Kirk and Madston, they talk about, you know, putting homosexual characters everywhere. So one of the places we see this is they show up in the media, but they don't just show up in the media as um, just random side characters. They're always the best dressed. They're always the smart one. They're, they're, they show up everywhere you look at, quote unquote, normal culture or where you would expect to see normal culture. And then you see a well-dressed, you know, um, above average homosexual, and it begins to desensitize you against the idea or any um, emotional or even intellectual um, resistance that you might have. So that's the first step in brainwashing. Okay. Second step in brainwashing is to jam. And we see this all the time in political arenas. And when you jam, what it really does is it's about attaching an idea, uh, an openly negative idea to that um, issue of concern. So if you have, if, if um, somebody doesn't want you to <laughs> speak highly of Donald Trump, then you're a Nazi, right? They attach you to something that's openly accepted as negative. Right. So if, if you are against homosexual behavior, like if we're talking about the Kirk and Madsen book, then you're a homophobe and you're a bigot and you're, you're attached to all these other ideas and what that does is it prevents a person from being able to properly think through the idea, therefore jamming their their brain from, from proper assimilation or assessment. Okay. And then conversion, because just desensitizing and jamming is not enough, conversion is the last step in brainwashing that they actually have to get you on their side. Just go, okay, you know what? It's not for me, but yeah, I, I, I don't care. That's Brainwashing doesn't stop there. It's about actually converting you and getting you convinced that this is the right way. So even if you aren't, you know, going back to Kirk and Madsen, even if you're not a homosexual, you're still going to go to the marches. You're still going to fight for it and you're going to vote for it and you're going to be an, an ally, which is why you see it was an LGBTQ AI2 plus or whatever. A is for allies because it's essential to get allies to, to push this. This idea. But yeah, basically the, the three stages of brainwashing. So we got desensitizing, jamming, and conversion. That's wild. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's all in that um, After the Ball, released in 1989. So I got to give a big shout out to Dustin because he actually sent whoa, over whoa, whoa, a whoa, PDF. Whoa, 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 whoa. We. I feel like I'm constantly caught in a Top Gun episode with you. Did I say, did I say I? Yeah, we. 
Maverick. We. <laughs> my goodness. My bad. My bad. We want to give a big shout out to Dustin for sending us the PDF after the yes. ball. So that's all. It, it might even end up as a future episode. Not not sure, but uh, it, it, it's a possibility. I, I like that. So thank you. Uh, I think he's actually the second person yeah. who sent that out uh, to us. I know another gentleman sent that uh, a little a while ago. I, th- I think he um, found a CIA.gov version of it and oh. forwarded that to us. And I was super impressed. I was like, what part of the internet are you searching to get this to us? This might have a tracker yeah. on it. I don't know if we can open it. <laughs> yeah, but both of them sent that out and, and uh, definitely appreciate that. And I think it's also a good moment to take a sidebar to say a lot of the interactions that we get on a weekly basis from our listeners is just phenomenal because this really is a community and so many people are sending us things that really help. So you guys come across stuff that you think is super interesting, forward it over to us. We love it. Yeah. You know, yeah, we really appreciate it. You can hit us it, on Instagram. Sure. You can send it to our email at let's talk at orppodcast.com. And, you know, we'll cover all that at the end of the episode. So we won't plug it here, but just want to say keep keep it coming. It really helps. It does. Yeah. Yeah. But getting back into this, the, uh, the Kirk and Madsen book actually gained their momentum from the free love movement and sexual revolution of the 1960s and the 1970s. Yes. You ever feel like you were born in the wrong generation? Um, By the time I got to 80s, love wasn't free no more. They was running people over with tanks and stuff. I was like, what would happen if I was born in the 60s and 70s? That's a good question. Things weren't going too well for my people group. So depending on what part of the country I was born in, I might not be that happy. It might not have been a free love movement. It might have been a no love movement. I I don't know. I just like curious. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody was asking that at work the other day. Like, what, what is your favorite generation or what's your favorite decade and first i didn't know that he meant like ones that i've lived through oh so you just went back was, like roaring 20s. i went back i think we would have been right great. <laughs> <laughs> i went through the whole thing and i'm like before i started this podcast i really would have thought you know oh the 30s w- wasn't too bad or the 40s you know all this stuff i said but the more i look every single decade is just steeped in in so much darkness you yeah. know that, that even leads up to today. So I'm like, I can't really say that one's better than the other. Cause I mean, is the start of MK ultra, you know, any different from like the, the end of the free love movement. I'm like, I, I can't pick and choose. They're all, they're all bad in some sense. That's the crazy thing is when you, it's kind of easy to see, well, easier maybe to see the decadence in the, your own generation, right? Your own lifetime. But then as mm-hmm. you start looking back, some somehow there's this filter that we go through in nostalgia. There's a certain fondness that we have with the older times. And if you start doing mm-hmm. the research of these older times that you did not live through, so you don't ha- quite have the blinding nature of nostalgia, but you're going back and you've heard about it. You know, the 50s were great. It was a wonderful time. We had Elvis. <laughs> you know what I mean? We was doing all sorts of things. We was getting ready to get to the moon, NASA. We had all sorts of good things happening in the 50s, except they was beating up Negroes like hotcakes. But that's a different thing. <laughs> you start doing some of the real research, and you're like, wait a minute. This, this 50s was not as good as I had heard about. They had some things going on. There were spiritual mm-hmm. moves that were being made. It makes you wonder. Yeah. I'm not sure if there really was a good decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. Wow! Did you lose your words? Did such... you buffer? No, what there's happened? a there's an um, there's an emotional barrier because this was <laughs> it's. I'm remembering a, a scene from Gilmore Girls. 
So there's that. <laughs> but <laughs> I love how I, I, I want to always tease you. I almost couldn't say. I, it. I always want to tease you about these things that you mentioned. I'm like, this this is not happening in the melanin rich community. Like, what self respecting huge huge man is running around here watching Gilmore Girls? Girls, I can't even say that one. Gilmore yeah, no. Girls. And what'll happen is I'll make fun of you. <laughs> And one of our listeners would be like, Christopher Dean, that is one of my favorite shows or favorite movies. (laughs) I'm so happy you mentioned that. And I'll feel like a butthead. So I'm going to refrain from actually making fun of you. But understand mentally, inside my head, I am definitely teasing you. Oh, I know. I know. That's why I almost couldn't say it. (laughs) But but there's a scene where they're talking about, like they're doing some type of historical reenactment or something like that. And there's kind of a... Uh, a grouchy diner owner. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? They're like, oh, life was so much better back then. He's like, no, you're just not looking at it with the right view. He's like, things sucked back then, just like they do now. They just sucked without indoor plumbing. And I was like, <laughs> huh, okay. Or air condition. Right. So that thought, like just from, from this goofy TV show has kind of sat with me for a while because it, it made me think. I was like, huh, maybe they weren't that good. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, dude. The more these episodes that we do, especially Snakeheads, the the more we get into these key players and what they were doing back when, the more I see that their influence on society is so huge in molding and shaping the structure of what we have to deal with now. It's almost like there's no way that there was a, a good time. And I'm not even sure yeah. if there was less Satanism per se. I think it was, it was it was just only not as as overt. You know, it was more covert. Mm-hmm. There were things that were happening underground, but they were just as sick. I think if anything has really changed, we've become more comfortable accepting Luciferian ideas and outright occultism on the mainstream level. Yeah, I would and agree. I think that's what's really scary. Mm-hmm. And it's because of folk like this that we're going to talk about today exactly like the entire drug crazed std inducing sexual revolution it owes its foundational ideologies to the efforts and research of one man our snakehead for today is even referred to as the father of the sexual revolution his name alfred kinsey Just a fair warning, you are probably going to hear a lot of that this episode. <laughs> Haven't we called that the, the Kenzie Something sound? Something like that. Like, because it's so ominous. Yeah, I think the first yeah. time we even used that sound was back during the Ultra series when we actually covered some of this real briefly. Yeah, real brief. Real brief. And it's crazy because we've been sitting on this since the Ultra series. Like, we really need to do an episode about Kenzie. But it takes a while to yeah. wash off. You know, a lot of that disgusting nature of what we're about to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not fun. But with that being said, Alfred Kinsey, he was born 1894, and he's actually the figurehead of the now Kinsey Sex Institute of Indiana University. So we got a, we got a modern day touch point. His landmark book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, was published in 1948. And then shortly after that, the counterpart to that sexual behavior in the human female was published in 1953. I find it very interesting that it was published in 1948. So we, we did an episode called Israel, One Nation Under Rimfan, right? Uh-huh. 
And for those interested, it's episode 83. In it, we mentioned this thing called the stab in the back idea and that Germans had, betray, or Germans had been betrayed by the Jews. And in some of the propaganda for this, there were cartoons showing Jews as androgynous. Right. And we didn't, when we did the episode, we didn't really have the answer for why the Jews were being portrayed like this. Uh, but now we've gained a little bit more information. The Weimar Republic was actually a democratic government established after World War I in Germany and was ripe with all types of societal change, most of them not good. And one of these changes is referred to as the Jewish Enlightenment. We mentioned this in that episode. But in this free-for-all type of society, the Jews actually spearheaded the sexual degradation of the culture. Pornography, androgyny, cabarets, and mass drug use were prolific and were, were rooted in some of the Jewish culture. So this was abhorrent to the conservative Germans at the time. And this only added to the, you know, anti-Semitism born from believing that the Jews betrayed the Germans, you know, during their um, coming out of World War I. So it's interesting to me that Alfred Kinsey's first book, which praises the same type of perversions that we see come out of the Weimar Republic, was published in the same year that the people responsible for that sexual revolution in Germany gained their own nation state of Israel. 1948, the same year. That, there's no way that was an accident. No, that, that's, that's wild in and of itself. And if we're going to tie another node to kind of, you know, this, this network here, right before that, you know, this has happened in 1948, I believe 1947, you have Jack Parsons and, and L. Ron Hubbard trying to recreate the Crowleyan working when Crowley did the the extremely perverse sex magic based uh, Amalantra working. They in mm -hmm. turn did the Babylon working just a year before that. And one of the things that was noted, one, they had to do very perverse sex magic in order mm -hmm. to make that happen. But the other thing that happened is they apparently created a rip in the space time continuum somewhere in our dimensional divide that they weren't able to close, which makes me wonder if they were involved in a sex, sex magic ritual that they were unable to reverse the effects of. Is it possible that sexual demons were released into the environment as a result of what I they were doing? I think so, for sure. Because then you get 1948, you get Israel happening, you get the restructuring of the United States government with the, uh, what, what do they call it, National Security Act, formation mm -hmm. of the CIA. I mean, all this all this stuff that's happening, but it's right after a sexual perverse perversity ritual is engaged in, in the United States. I yeah. think it's a very no, that's interesting a really good tie point. between that. I had a question, though. You were talking about these two books that, that Kinsey released. And I okay. noticed that um, earlier you said that the first one was the uh, sexual behavior in the human male, which was released yes. 1948. And then the counterpart was sexual behavior of the human female, 1953. No, it, they're both in. They're both in? They're both in. Yeah, my mistake. Okay, but that's interesting because when I was going through doing a little bit of research, <laughs> trying to catch up to mm -hmm. you, <laughs> I immediately okay. made the correction in my head and just called it, and I put the correction in quotations, sexual behavior of the human male and sexual behavior mm -hmm. of the human female. And the fact that it's not of, but it's actually in. 
is a very yes. subtle, but I think very important distinction because it seems to imply to me that there is sexualized behavior that's being placed in the male and being placed in the female. I'm also okay. confused because if this, <laughs> hear me out, if this is a landmark study that actually becomes the basis for all of our understanding on human sexuality, including the, the, the subsequent effect on society and the ability for LGBTQ2IA plus movement to really exist, mm-hmm. his two works are only oriented towards two genders. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, you're not wrong. Where's the sexual it's- behavior in the trans... He, the transgender. <laughs> well, I think maybe it's because he died shortly after. I don't think he lived out of the. Oh, he, he was probably 50, working so on maybe, that third work. Yeah, possibly. I got possibly. you. I got you. <laughs> Isn't that wild That's though? Funny. It is crazy. It's crazy. It, it's interesting to and, me, man. How often these these satanic agendas are axiologically flawed. Mm-hmm. Even though they get carried out with, with such gusto, when you start looking at it, you're like, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense. How do you aim your first books at the two genders? And that's all you write. But then later on, you're claiming there are no genders at all. Because if that's the case, then yeah. we need to undo the first two books that you wrote that form the foundation <laughs> that you're standing on to proclaim that there aren't just two genders. You would think. I mean, if it's going to yeah. be logically succinct. Mm-hmm. We're not letting logic ruin an argument like this. What are you talking about? <laughs> Just roll with the punches, baby. Yeah, there's no place for that. And you know what? No, no, I take it back. There probably is a section in these two books that deals with that, but those two sections are stuck together. I'm going to leave that alone. Continue on. <laughs> yeah, uh, back to Kinsey. Uh, <laughs> uh, after he released... Uh, His second book, I believe he made the cover of Time magazine, and this is comical to me. The article concluded that Kinsey has done for sex what Columbus did for geography. I almost spit my drink out. I was like, that's crazy because (laughs) Christopher Columbus had no idea where he was when he landed in the New World in 1492. Hey, but that may be actually more more astute than they realized. Yeah, I think it really is. Yeah, because Columbus and, and was lost he, and misidentified everything and created a whole bunch of confusion, pissed off a lot of people, created genocides. Uh-huh. I mean, all sorts of yeah. problems. There was human bloodshed <laughs> after this. There was issues. There was issues. Yeah, so th- this is what Kinsey has done for sex. And we're going to praise him. <laughs> right. That's, that's the crazy that's thing. The the National Library of Medicine actually says that one of the most influential Americans of the 20th century, Alfred Charles Kinsey, conducted landmark studies of male and female sexual behavior that helped usher in the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s. That's the Library of Medicine. Mm. That's insane to me. And and, and we'll get to why. just, Just hold on. Hold on. Kinsey grew up in New Jersey and from a... Uh, self-proclaimed very religious household. His father, Alfred Sanguine Kinsey, was professor at Stevens Institute of Technology. But apparently due to some religious differences, Kinsey had severed his relationship with his father while attending college, and the two never reconciled. Interesting. Yes, yes. And while going to college, Kinsey also met his wife, Clara. 
They both shared a love for insects and eventually got married. This is a weird place to start, right? Insects? No, no. Very interesting. Seems legitimate. They both had a love for creepy crawly things. Right. Then it gets then it gets a little interesting because apparently Kenzie and his wife, being college educated people, had trouble consummating their marriage. We don't have they that problem many... nowadays. People are consummating all sorts yeah. of things in college. <laughs> I mean, talk about a change in the educational system. Right. Like that's wild. Uh, but they were both scientists, so they tried to appeal to research as a way out of their sexual frustration. Unfortunately, there's there at this time there was not very many books written to assist people that were having trouble, you know, with their sex life. Okay. Now it's interesting because this lack of information was actually blamed on the conservative and oppressive culture created by Christianity. Of course. And. and 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 that's bothersome because the truth is Christianity may hurt, may hold a conservative view of sexuality, but it is anything, anything but oppressive, right? We are told to make love to our spouses and to do it a lot, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be mature through this, dude, but. <laughs> oh, it's going to, it's going to be rough. I'm listening to it's you talk be rough. all I can think of was Austin Powers. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to my associate, Alada. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but the real problem <laughs> that I think that the problem wasn't Christianity as a whole. I think it came from the fundamentalist movement of the 1920s. Well, I think the, right? that Christianity has one problem and the one major problem, and that's the fact that God is a God of order. So he does have mm-hmm. rules. And this this Luciferian idea is any rule is oppressive. Any rule. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So if, but I mean, if they say don't do this, you know, it's, I've, I've been waiting for our culture to say that rapists are oppressed. That right, thieves because are there's oppressed. Rules. Yeah, because you, you told, mm-hmm. you, we're told we can't, you, 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 not we, I shouldn't say we, because now people are going to think I'm part of that camp. But you're, <laughs> the, 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 the law is that you can't rape someone. Well, there is a law there mm-hmm. prohibiting that behavior. So for someone who desires to do that, that law is oppressive. That's a distorted gotcha. view of really what oppression would be. But I think that's one of the the arguments that's used against Christianity constantly is because there are rules that are enacted in order to preserve the health of society and of of human beings. Those rules are deemed oppressive by nature. And so the idea is that we must free ourselves from all rule, i.e. being liberated. And so complete okay. freedom to do whatever one wants is the goal with no idea that that leads you straight into enslavement. It's just enslavement to your own desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. But the other side of it, um, that specifically what I was coming to was that there's no material available to aid someone that is having issues with sex, right? Right. Because, I mean, we kind of deal with this now. Like, what do we do as Christians? You know, how do we navigate our sex lives and our marriage? And there's there's definitely more stuff now than there was in the 40s. But I think a lot of this is because the fundamentalist movement said anything that's not directly related to salvation is secular, and Christians have no business doing anything that's secular. Right. So it, it- it caused us to pull out of sciences and media and politics and all these areas that Christians actually had prominence in. Right. And that left, you know, that left this, 
huge open spot for the enemy to come in. Exactly. I agree. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So by the time Kinsey and his wife needed helpful information about sex, all they were able to attain was this book called Happiness and Marriage. Oh, <laughs> gosh. That just reeks. Reeks of, yes. of modern day, you know, happy <laughs> life, happy wife. Right, right. But what makes it worse is it was written by the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger. Shut up. Uh-uh. The only book that you could get <laughs> about happiness and marriage or sex, in the proper ways to approach sex, was written by Margaret Sanger. Was she ever married? Like, that is, I have no idea. Because that would be even crazier. And, that it's coming from a person that potentially was never married. Uh, you know what? No, she was married. She had uh, two marriages. Okay. James gotcha. Noah and William gotcha. Sanger. So, I guess, you know, the lady who's still promoting the death of a particular section of people is not the one that we might want to take information on how to be happy in an intimate relationship. Yeah. Just saying. But I... I I think it was the church that really left this wide open. You know, we talk about don't don't give up any ground to the enemy. Mm -hmm. This is a huge area of ground we just left wide open. So Kenzie and his wife came in to fill in all the gaps with their own research. Interesting. Yeah, it's not good. It is not good at all. So they asked around, um, you know, and collected as much data as they could uh, about sex, you know, seeking any and all. All data, mostly anecdotal about people's sex and sexuality, like what they did and how often they did it and things like that. Apparently, his research techniques were ones that he developed while researching wasps. Like if you remember, I talked about how him and his wife were both into insects. Uh -huh. I believe this is, this is even what he wrote his dissertation about. Okay. Is the behavior of insects. And several places I saw that from his research methods, that this is what he used in the sex institute, but I couldn't find details about exactly what that was. You know, I didn't know if it was just the re research methods or if it was the actual practices of wasps that he then kind of, you know, used as a, as a template. But there's definitely a connection between his wasp research and his sex research which I, th I thought was interesting. Gotcha. E either way, uh, the vendetta that he had against a re religion that began with his father and that oppressive home that he lived in really fueled his motivation to free society from the cultural oppression of religious sexual morals. Now, there's even a, there's a, um, a documentary that we'll post in our, our show notes on Patreon that it actually talks about people being damaged by morals. Like the, this is the language that these people are using. The individuals were damaged by morals. I'm like, this is such a twisted way of thinking, but that's what they set out to do is free everyone from the damage of morals and guidelines. Exactly to what you were saying just a minute ago, Jason. So would you say that his household was actually oppressive? Like in a, in a traditional sense, in a honest sense, or, or that he just, didn't get along with the, or agree with the religious position of his father. Um, I really don't know enough to, to make a stance on okay. that because I, I know that there are, um, radical Christians that are very 
oppressive, right? That they take it too far and it's very legalistic and, and there are aspects of it that are very damaging. Okay. But just the, I, I, the only information that I could find was just anecdotal evidence from Kinsey about his upbringing. And it's hard to say, especially if it's through adolescence. Like you ask any teenager, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about your parents? Oh, they're oppressive. They have all these rules. No, there are a so lot of there girls' could parents be- that were very oppressive to me. Very, very oppressive. <laughs> these rules. <laughs> mean I can't come over at two in the morning. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think one of the specifics that came up was like prayer. So you not to masturbate. Like Jesus helped me not masturbate was this thing that. But I mean, that could go. That could be very oppressive. You know, depending on on what the approach is, or it, why are you laughing? I was thinking it's so much better than the prayer of Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, probably not no doubt, the right prayer. You probably needed uh, oh, who's a dude? You needed Joe Dirt's mom's prayer. Is this what you want to be found <laughs> doing when Jesus comes back? Right. So it's just it's it's hard to say from that perspective. I got you know, you. was it just? Was it prayer for pursuing purity or was it, there was a Facebook page a long time ago that said you, you can't climb the, the ladder to heaven with your penis in your hand or something like that. I was like, come on. Probably not what you but should yeah, say so, after that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so I'm not sure, but either way that it, this is what fueled him to try to free society okay. from, from morals and, and, and any rules. He actually thought of himself too as a scientist first, which sounds good, except for the fact that he thought that this freed him from any moral or ethical code by which to perform his research. That's not good because if you're going to have strong scientific research, there are philosophical presuppositions that you have to act by. Yes. Right? You, yes. Th- there is a presumption that you need to be honest in your findings so mm-hmm. that your your conclusions can be accurate. You know, you don't make up data just to prove your point and call it scientific. So it's kind of wild. Exactly. You know, he would take an approach contrary to that while still trying to cloak his positions in scientific backed garb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very convoluted. Yeah, I agree. Very convoluted. So he began collecting sex histories and he started with the students and then kind of started asking around the teaching body and then moved outside of that. Apparently by 1940, he had cataloged 1,692 histories. Okay, that's phenomenal because in the 1940s, people were not Mm -hmm. that free with their sexual history as they are today. They were not. So I don't even know how you would really broach that conversation without getting slapped in the face, especially with dealing with a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I think even going about it and the people that were willing to express this information, it had to obtain the 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 study. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? At least there's a possibility. Right. It, there's a possibility of that. So by this time, he got grants from the National Research Council and guess who else? The Rockefeller Foundation. Seriously? Uh-huh. I'm not surprised. N- me either. Me, but yeah, I'm like, okay, Makes sense. now we're seeing some more things tie together. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when simply interviewing people failed to satiate his curiosity, both Kinsey and his wife began experientially investigating sex with multiple partners from both sexes. Maybe that's how they got more of the females to talk about it. I forgot that his wife was. Oh, because. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that could have been. There's not a lot of information about Clara being in on the sex research, but definitely to get him started, I can see how well, that would play a part. At least not on the interview part, but apparently she's here on the uh, hands-on research with multiple partners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was comfortable yeah, with that. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's wild. I'm, uh-huh. It's crazy. But with such widespread and constant conversation and collection of data, it soon became an obsession of Kinsey's. I'd argue that maybe it could have been a, a, an obsession before, but now we found a place to act on it, right? That's got to be found a slippery act. slope into madness. Dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has to, has to. <laughs> and the once happily married couple, right? Now they're engaged in an open marriage, independently seeking out multiple sex partners. So they're not even experimenting together now. Now they're going out. Like you just constantly see the the threads un, um, unraveling. Unraveling. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. And even when assembling his administration for the research at Indiana University, he chose people and couples who would wife swap and who would have secret homosexual encounters with each other. Actually, I, I, got, I got a clip for you. Listen to this. To carry out the research, Kinsey believed his key staff needed personal experience of a wide variety of sexual behavior. To ensure this, he encouraged them to have sex with each other. Uh, one night, uh, Kinsey said, why don't you come down to, to, to my room? So I went down and I, I immediately felt some tension in the air, which was quite different from anything I had experienced with him before. And it suddenly occurred to me that uh, Kinsey was uh, was uh, preparing to uh, offer me the opportunity to have some homosexual experience. And I said, I don't think I want to participate in this, and please uh, uh, excuse me, and I walked out the door. But Kinsey's interest was not solely scientific. He had discovered that he was increasingly sexually attracted to men and had begun to live a double life. In public, he appeared to be a happily married, respectable academic. In private, he sought out homosexual encounters. But these were illegal, and he was forced to keep them secret. On the one hand, he had a wife, he had children, he had a career as a, as a respected college professor. On the other hand, he had sexual needs and desires that could not be met um, within the confines of middle-class morality. That made him, of necessity, all right, cultivate two kind of parallel existences. Uh, the one the world saw, the one that was private, sovereign, and known only to himself. So when he builds a staff in which there uh, is some wife-swapping, when he builds a staff in which there are some, uh, you know, gay contacts, uh, he's doing it, I think, uh, out of needs that are both professional and private. With with us knowing this information, why is it not called? Why is the authenticity or the reliability of his work not called into question when he's gathering people for his? you know, administration or whatever mm -hmm. that are just at least in part there to meet his personal sexual needs. Like it's so convoluted from the beginning. Right. Right. And there's a pattern that's emerging there, you know, unrestricted sexual expression leading to a debasement of sexual desire. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it even said that he noticed an increase in his attraction to to men, which would imply yeah. he didn't start out that way. Uh-huh. I think it's also fascinating yeah. that the, whoever was talking, they said they went down there and they sent some some tension in the air. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. And of course, there's an easy joke there, but I was actually thinking that's phenomenal from from more of a scientific perspective. Because you and I have talked mm-hmm. about the fact that the way God structured the human, um, the, the human soul, we're really like a step up antenna. We transmit and receive radio information, if you will. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the fact that the, the guy was able to pick up that there was tension actually seems to suggest that there was a sexual frequency that was being transmitted by Kinsey. That was a, a frequency that did not correlate to his own frequency. And so mm-hmm. there was a disagreement on a frequency level that he interpreted as tension that he could pick up just by being in the environment. I'm like, that's phenomenal because it makes me think, what if Kenzie, by way of getting involved in these increasing levels of debasement, these acts that were more, um, not just sensuous, but were, were more salacious and were more ludicrous in their expressions. What if that was a result of him being rewired, his mind being rewired? And if his mind's being rewired, then his soul's being rewired, which means it's not going to function as intention as it was intended to by design, which then means it's going to broadcast signals and frequencies it wasn't intended to. That would be out of alignment. Yeah, that's a good point. Somebody else is picking up on. That's crazy. And it's interesting because what do you mean? Now that you (laughs) I saw your mind going. Yeah, there, there's there's so many different things. One is the fact that it does actually rewire and change the 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 energies that we that we um, transmit, right? Both in and out, so you can pick it up without actually having to engage in homosexual behavior. But it's also a really interesting point about the the degradation and the change, right? He became more attracted to males, and we'll get into a little bit when he hired a cameraman. Um, he was very aware that your involvement in this will change how you react to, to sexual material. But it seems like the entire premise, or at least a major part of the premise of his book, is that we are sexual from the beginning, right? This is just how we are, right? Normal behavior. The whole time, it's on a sliding scale. Because the more you immerse yourself in this, the more you get desensitized, the more you get rewired. Like it's cha- it's changing you. But the that uh, he compiled the research in such a de- dishonest manner that he presents it as though we are all already like down the road of change. You know what I mean? Right. This is this is how we are, even though we know throughout our experiences that we're changing. That's crazy exactly. to me. Exactly. And it's all done secretly. Like, you know, they, one of the things that they weren't allowed to do is they weren't allowed to talk to anyone about either their own sexual encounters, unless it was submitted as research. And they couldn't talk about anything that they had learned from any, anyone else. It's a, it's kind of like, uh, it reminded me of fight club, right? Like the first rule about sex, sex club is we don't talk about sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's insane. And they even devised a code by which to do the, the, the interviews and Kenzie made everybody, uh, memorize it. Like they couldn't even have cheat sheets. I I have a clip for that too. Listen to this. 
Kinsey's book challenged most known views on sexual behavior. From masturbation to adultery, homosexuality to bestiality, Kinsey's patient research appeared to reveal the reality of America's sex life. We took sex, you might say, out of the closet. We made it possible to discuss sexual matters in the home, uh, in the office, in schools, and even in the media. We sort of broke the uh, taboos. The research was based on the biggest survey of sexual attitudes and behavior ever undertaken. Kinsey invented a highly detailed confidential questionnaire. His researchers had to learn the complicated code which encrypted both questions and answers. Paul Gebhard was a senior member of the team. Uh, frankly, it was a damnable thing to memorize, and Kinsey forced us to memorize it. He wouldn't let us keep a little, uh, little guide or cheat sheet or something. We had to memorize it verbally. Uh, it was a sheet of paper divided up into columns and lines. And each column dealt with one subject. For example, one column uh, dealt with the frequency of intercourse in marriage. Another column dealt with masturbation. Another column de dealt with uh, psychological responses to sexual stimuli, etc. So it's interesting to me that both like the answers and the questions are coded. It makes me really wonder what the original... Uh, like interview process looked like what what the the questionnaire that you filled out actually looked like if the questions were coded as well right the the first guy who was talking was that Kinsey or, or was that one of his research assistants no there's no um no audio from from Kinsey I don't think there's any recorded audio okay so available. all of these male voices that we hear the, these are research assistants that worked with him researchers yeah that worked alongside Kinsey okay. and the stuff that they say is they seem so just calm barely, as they're talking about this stuff. The, they do, and the stuff that they joke about and they think is funny is, I mean, it's disturbing. Like these are some, um, yeah, some messed up individuals. They they have been rewired. I, I would say for sure. Gotcha. It's it's crazy. And similarly to like what we were talking about before is there's an issue in this type in this approach to collecting evidence. Now, I'm not one to turn my nose up. We've talked about anecdotal evidence before, right? It's just eyewitness accounts or whatever. But the whole way that they're they're doing this seems flawed from the beginning. You know, one they're not asking like you mentioned before basic information. They want private information. Something that most people were not comfortable sharing at the time. Right. So, anybody that that would be willing to share this information puts them in a box and there doesn't seem to be a control group. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like the floodgates are wide open and there's no way to even test to see if anything anyone shared was accurate. Like anybody could have gone in and especially if you're dealing with college students who um, some of them, you know, they're, they're, they're just there to party or at least that's the, the common um, idea uh, how serious were they taking it? You know, how many people went in and go, well, what's some of the craziest stuff we could say we did? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's no way to filter out that type of of false information in the way that you you go about it. Right. And then even beyond that, it said that Kinsey himself would latch onto taboo ideas and explore them to the nth degree. Like there was definitely an emphasis on things abnormal, which is going to distort the way 
not just the way that you go about researching, but the information that you get as well, right? How so? Well, because if you're just going in and um, without bias, I guess bias is kind of what I'm talking about. If it's without bias and just, you know, give me whatever information you have. But if things that seem abnormal, especially because this claims to be sexual, you know, behavior in the human male. So it's talking about normalizing this or saying that this is what is happening with everyone, but you focus on taboos, you focus on the fringe things, then how is that helping you get an accurate representation of the norms? Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, that makes like sense. Like it, 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 it tends to be tipped in a particular direction. I got you. And all this research and, 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 coded questionnaires and things actually it resulted in what what we now know is the kinsey scale have you heard of the kinsey scale no yeah it's interesting it's a seven point like sliding scale to help people understand their sexuality so of course there's like x which which would be no sexuality but one is extremely heterosexual two mostly heterosexual only slightly or um, incidentally homosexual Three is mostly heterosexual, but more than slightly homosexual. Four is equally heterosexual and homosexual. Five, mostly homosexual, but more than slightly heterosexual. Six, mostly homosexual, only slightly or incidentally heterosexual. And then seven is extremely homosexual. Huh. Interesting. And it's, it's, it's crazy. I've seen videos on this and it seems like such a, so much is lost between what we, what research actually went on Mm -hmm. and then what we think it is today. Because if you go online to, there's several different places you can um, do like Kinsey scale or the Kinsey test or whatever. And it's a seven question test that you just answer those and then it plots you somewhere on the Kinsey scale. And everyone's like, oh, this is cool, you know? And, you know, there's people of all sexualities in the videos and things on YouTube that you can look up. And I even took the the seven question Where'd you rank? <laughs> test. I am extremely heterosexual. Okay. <laughs> I knew this was coming. You were going to ask me about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. As soon as you said you took the test. <laughs> you know, no judgment. I just uh, right, right. <laughs> need to know where you, you stood on this. Uh, that's funny. But it's it's interesting to me how this seven-question test is somehow supposed to accurately represent the massively coded and leading interviews done by the Kinsey Institute. That makes no sense to me. Hmm. You, know what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how, how did we go from that to, to this? Simple thing. Oh, it's just a seven question thing. And that's, and a lot of people think that that's all it was. I don't know. It's, it just seems so. That's wild, dude. Whitewashed, if I can use that term. Uh, you just did. <laughs> so we're going to go with it. No, that's, that's wild. Yeah. It, it gets crazier though. Cause he didn't stop at just research. He also started a secret pornography. Um, wing of his sex institute oh really oh yeah yeah he hired a um so not, videographer for 
Uh, I was going to say, so not only does he have this homosexual thing going on, well, first, the wife swapping thing going on. And he's hiring Mm -hmm. people that are in open marriages and are free to do this whole swingers thing. So he's got a swinger thing going on. He's got a a secret homosexual thing going on with with his male researchers. And now we're going to add a very secretive pornography wing to the Institute. Yes. I wonder whose yes. name goes over that wing. So you're doing some construction over there, Mr. Kenzie. You've uh, extended <laughs> the wing, have you? What is this? Oh, oh, this is our clandestine pornography wing. We can't talk much about it. It's classified. But ooh, buddy, <laughs> things that go down there, no pun intended, there is something happening. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a clip of the, the guy that got hired to do the, the filming, too. Listen to this. To satisfy these twin motives, Kinsey secretly commissioned a series of explicit sex films involving his staff and outside volunteers. Clarence Tripp was his first photographer and became one of his closest confidants. I was um, a photographer from 20th Century Fox and he said, oh, among other things, do make me some movies. I need uh, 2,000 orgasms. Of course, we never got to 2,000, but we got to hundreds. The types of behavior filmed kind of run the gamut. Uh, there was a lot of uh, just, you know, heterosexual copulation. There was masturbation. Uh, there was also uh, more than a little uh, masochism filmed uh, at the Institute. Kinsey, I think, wanted to use these films to, uh, you know, to study and to learn and to observe. Uh, that, uh, that motivation was, uh, was certainly there. I think also Kenzie has a personal interest in seeing the filming take place. For him, it's both uh, satisfying emotionally and it's also uh, important scientifically that the filming take place. But Kinsey had begun to realize this type of sex research would take a heavy toll on both him and his staff. When Kinsey first hired me to do pictures, he said, I want to warn you of something. As soon as we get you to photographing sex every day and paying attention to sex right, left, and center, pretty soon nothing will turn you on. Nothing in the area, nothing visual will turn you on. Because you'll lose all those sensitivities. What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Isn't it? Wild. And we, we talked before about, you know, it seems like a descent into madness and, you know, being desensitized. And it's so crazy that that anyone could think that this was normal. Like to completely desensitize yourself to any visual sexual stimuli. And that's and, and think that that's normal. Like it's just it's so absurd. Exactly. Now, let me ask you a question, man, just just for the person, because we're about an hour in into this. Yes. For the person that, you know, clicked on this, they see it's Snake Heads. We're talking about Alfred Kinsey. But so far, we've just been talking about some of the things that was going on in the Sex Institute. Mm-hmm. Hit me with the so what? Like, who cares? It's just a guy doing some things off in 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 this this section of of Indiana University. Why is this such a big deal and why even go through the things of making this a snakehead? Because I know we haven't got to some of the more serious things so far, but I also don't want to make people wait. 
you know, until we, we finally get to that, if they've got that question, why should I care about this guy, this Kinsey guy? Okay, well, that's a good question. I mean, we we opened up talking about Kinsey, that he's the father of the sexual revolution, that his his works, uh, behavior in the human male and female normalized masturbation, homosexuality, promiscuity. Um, did I say homosexuality? I don't know. You lost me at promiscuity. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I thought I'd lose you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> So, so really what we're drawing out is that the, our entire understanding of sexual mores and normal practices of sexual behavior are rooted in this man and his research. So like if we think that promiscuity is normal, here, here's the one that, that hit me, masturbation, Right. Is masturbation that normal? Go, growing up, going to the doctor, doctors say, oh, you know, if, if you're not sure how to have safe sex or you can't ensure that, you know, you're engaging in sexual practices in a, in a healthy and safe manner, masturbation is a good alternative. Right. Well, this is something that I just thought. I grew up and then thought that I was going to be teaching my son. Yes, taking your desires in your own hands is absolutely normal behavior. The same thing I heard growing up. Right. Safest way to make sure that you don't have unwanted pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that the idea of that and what we think is normal and what is becoming even more normal, all of that is tied back to the research studies that Alfred Kinsey did. So if there is any question about the authenticity of the work, if there's any question about the science and how it was gone about, then we have to rethink our entire view on sexuality. We have to rethink is promiscuity normal? We have to rethink, is masturbation normal or has it been made normal by the works of this guy who wanted to sleep around with his own staff, wanted them to go sleep around? Um, and, and we haven't even gotten into the darkest stuff, but this is just building a case that if our entire understanding of sexuality is rooted in Alfred Kinsey, because that's even if you're a teacher, this is the path that you have to go down is the, the Keynesian research study. It's, it forms not just sexual revolution. It fills, forms the foundation of how we interpret sex in America today. Hmm. Okay. So it's important to look at this. It's important to realize that he was making his own private pornos it's, it's, and sleeping with his staff and keeping it all secret and encoding you know, all of this stuff. And things got so bad that, you know, they, they mentioned that masochism was a big part of the, the pornography there. They got so bad that he had to keep incorporating more and more amounts of pain in his sexual practices to even get off. At one point in time, circumcising himself with no anesthesia or anesthetic with a pocket knife. Oh, my goodness. Just so he, yeah, just so he could get off. Okay. And, and th this is the type of research, this is the mind that formed our understanding of sexuality in America today. And then, but then this gets to the, the, the real crux of it. The idea that children are sexual from birth comes from the Kinsey Institute. And it's not because the way they collected data, it's not because of the misguided personal experience that taints the, you know, so-called scientific research. It's actually those that the Institute chose to represent the normal behavior in America. Kinsey and his research group sought out prostitutes to gather anecdotes of normal sexual practices. And worse than that, inmates who had been incarcerated for pedophilia. 
They would actually go to these prisons and they would ask for a list of everyone who had been convicted of pedophilia. And they would get this list of names and they would go in and investigate and interview pedophiles to, f- to form the foundation of what we believe, of when we believe humans become sexually active by those that criminally, predatorily raped children. And this would form the basis of our sex education um, from, from, public, from a public perspective? Yes. And this is why you have the five-year-olds now, that if they want to undergo, um, um, uh, what is it, hormone therapy, they, they want to have sex changes. They want to get top surgery. They are transgender and they want to be referred to as different names. Now, parents, a lot of places, parents aren't even allowed to, to push back against this. A lot of times the, the school system now encourages this and keeps it secret from the parents. Why? Because the Kinsey Sex Institute taught that children are actively sexual from birth. And the reason they think this is because they asked a bunch of pedophiles about their sexual experiences. That is freaking crazy, dude. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Now, I'm glad you, you, you tied that together that way because, you know, I didn't want this to sound like we're just going through a, a lesson on, you know, one guy. Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of diversity in his own life. But right. for him to be a snakehead that we focus on definitely uh, raises the question, why is he important? What okay. was the influence on culture that would justify him even making it on our list? No, that makes sense. I'm sorry if it took so long for me to f- get to that. No, but this, yeah. this, this is good to realize where that connection point happens. Especially with the rampant push for pedof- the acceptance of pedophilia in modern culture, because mm-hmm. it doesn't normally exactly. start out that way. I, I, we we touched on a prior episode, I think it was in the month of June, where we were talking about how in in um, was it ancient Rome, how there was a whole thing that was being practiced called ped- pedestry, pedestry, pedestry. I can't remember the pederasty. Pederasty. There we go. Thank you which is the whole practice of, you know, sodomizing boys and mm-hmm. having them work, <laughs> pay off their debt to a tutor or a mentor rather with sexual faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. And how with America being built off of Roman society, that same thing has continued to, to persist certain halls of, of religious elite as well as in politics and in other forms of the mainstream public, how there's such a huge, how do I want to say it? There's a, a, a underswell of pedophilia that is now beginning to make its way onto the surface with mm-hmm. TED Talks being done to accept pedophilia as just a, an alternative expression of sexual orientation. Right, and MAPS, Right. They're just minor attracted persons. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and then of course there comes a change of the law and now all of a sudden it'll be acceptable. Yep. So if there is a, I don't even say if, because there's, there's definitely a correlation and a tie that is going between the influences today based on the research of yesterday. I wanted to make sure that, that people were aware of this is why he's made this list. 
And why even mm-hmm. the fact that you're focusing on the fact that he interviewed pedophiles, why that's not just an isolated isolated issue of concern, but how it had a profound impact on the sexual mind of America moving forward. Yes. Because this whole idea of a revolution is huge. You know, we we talked about I think you and I have talked about offline how revolutions come back around. Right. It's the way that you change society. Mm-hmm. And you had the French Revolution. You had the American Revolution. We hear this term and I don't think it really clicks off any alarm bells. But typically, every time there is a revolution, it results in the decay of society, the, the decay of social order and structure. Yes. But the design is to do that so that there can be a new order created. I feel mm-hmm. like we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A little but bit. But I think it's fascinating here as the father of the sexual revolution, there's going to be a collapse of sexual norms in order to produce a new class of sexuality and sexual normalcy. Hence why yes. there has to be a revolution. Uh-huh. And, the, and just just to make sure that we don't move forward without solidifying this, it's not our opinion that Kenzie's books might have in some way impacted the mind of America in regards to sexual norms. It is documented that this is the springboard from which sex education in America is based. There is still a Kenzie Institute in Indiana University dedicated to this research that has this documentation. Like it's, we are not the ones that made the connection. We found people that were saying, look, this is where our sex education comes from. So yeah, this, there's no doubt. That means when you were going through middle school or high school and you had to take a sex ed class, ultimately where that information came from has its, its not just its roots, but it came from the seed as planted by Alfred Kinsey doing this specific type of research. Yes. Gotcha. But the, all this was the, the rated G version, right? Or, or this is just like, now we get into why sp- specifically more than just ah, a little bit of debauchery, right? And sure, interviewing pedof- pedophiles in prison is bad, but ah, it's just good it gets worse. <laughs> you know, you, you got you to turn over every leaf. I, I get that in, in some rare cases, there could be a good reason to interview people that have committed a bunch of crimes in any particular field. Why they were interviewing these people and, and, and what they were trying to establish is one thing, but it gets worse. All right, go ahead. So Kinsey had a mentor, Dr. Lato Dickinson. And yes, I'm going to be childish for a moment. It is really difficult to go through some of this information and be like, wait a minute. Kenzie's mentor was Dr. Dickinson and not I'm D-I-C-K. So glad we're best friends. <laughs> it was the only thing I thought of when I was going through the research and I listened to it. It was like his name was Dick and Son. I was like, somehow yes. there feels like it's a bad pun that I can't resist. Cause it's not even spelled E-N. <laughs> it's I-N. D-I-C-K. I-N. S O N. This was his mentor. I really know that there is somebody that is shaking their head. Like I cannot believe that they are this immature. I'm sorry. It's hey, like you, the you, only you, way you can you can deal with how dark this material really is. You have to find a couple twisted moments of ah. Oh. 
Dickinson. Right. Makes perfect sense. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you'll be crying through right. it. Right. But I can't believe you picked so, up on it. You're supposed to be the more mature of the two of us. No, I'm not. I'm not. I just hide it better. <laughs> so uh, Dickinson helped <laughs> helped Kinsey's uh, sex studies, and he is actually responsible for putting Kinsey in touch with a practicing pedophile named Rex King. And by practicing, I mean prior to Kinsey studies, during Kinsey studies, and after his books were published. Oh wow! He was a practicing. Pedophile. Yes. So uh, I found an article by Spotlight on abuse, and it says that Rex King was a U.S. government land examiner who used his work in Arizona and New Mexico as cover to abuse children. Kinsey's mentor, Dr. Robert Dickinson, had taught King basic scientific methods. I'm just, it needs repeated. Kinsey's mentor, Dr. Dickinson, had taught King basic scientific methods to record the sexual abuse of children. Kings molested at least 800 boys and girls and recorded based on the teachings of Dr. Dickinson. Wow. Recorded in diaries the methodical molestation and rape of at least 800. Now, Rex King, who was given the codename Mr. Green to protect him from identification and prosecution, chapter five of Kinsey's book contained records of King's abuse of 317 infants and children from two months to 15 years old. To give an example of King's research, he would interpret a little girl's floods of tears as a result of sexual abuse as evidence of orgasm. That is just sick. It's disgusting. Kenzie wrote to Rex King and said, I commend you on the research spirit which has led you to collect the data over these many years. And Kinsey also expressed to a colleague that he thought King was a hero, that the guy had the courage and the ingenuity and the sexual energy and the curiosity to have this fantastic multi-year odyssey through the Southwest and never get caught. Now, my esoteric, personally, my, my, my general mind is just spinning. Like, this is absolutely disgusting. My esoteric mm-hmm. mind is is spinning as well, but fascinated at these last two statements. Well, actually three things. Number one, the name of this abuser I find fascinating. Rex King. Exactly. Which makes me think of Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay. Because if if I'm not mistaken, I believe T-Rex means, what is it? uh, King of terrible dinosaurs, something like that. Mm -hmm, Something like that. Yeah. And here we have, Another guy whose name, it seems to dance right along that idea. But T-Rexes are, at least in our modern iteration of them, are incredibly violent, incredibly dangerous, uncontrollable. You you can't console or soothe or, or in any way domesticate a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Right. Seems like his own sexual proclivities were equal to that as far as their mm-hmm. characteristic expressions. So I find yes. that fascinating. I also find it interesting that Kinsey, his quote when he writes to, to Rex King, it says, I commend you on the research spirit, which has led you to collect data over this many years. I think that it That's was an actual spirit that was behind this. And I think the second quote that we have of Kinsey talking about uh, Rex King is equally telling, calling him a hero. 
Now, we know by our prior research that heroes were actually the ancient term given to the Nephilim, those who expressed all forms of perversity, right? And when God sent the flood Mm -hmm. that wiped them out, their spirits were disembodied from their, their actual physical forms. And they became what we know as demonic or unclean spirits that influence and harass humanity today. They just talked about in the prior section that there was a spirit which was being led to collect the data, which will result in perversities being performed on humanity. I think there's a real connection here. I think that Rex King was actually influenced by obvious demonic spirits that were doing what they did in prior ancient times. Expressing you know, their own proclivities, their own lust, whatever it took to defile humanity. What were you about to say? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm reminded that if it will blow your mind a little bit more on the esoteric side of things, Rex King also had a bunch of incestuous relationships. In fact, his diaries show that he built a family tree of 33 people. And his, in his sexual adventure, whatever you want to call it, his goal was to bed all 33 members from his family tree. I think he only made it to 12 or 24 or something like that, but that was his goal. He mapped out 33 members and his family tree and his goal was to sleep with them all. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. So here's the guy who's mapped out 33 people. He wants to sleep with them all and become the incestuous king of his region. Who's influencing Kinsey who has a father issue for a dad that supposedly has a very strong religious stance. And he decides that he's no longer going to be subservient under his father. He's going to do his own thing. And he, and he falls into, I'm going to put fall in quotation slides, probably better slides into sexual perversity and gets linked up with this guy who is going through all forms of debauchery and documenting them. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And this led, so this led Kinsey to believe that pedophilia wasn't a problem. In fact, Kinsey thought that the prohibition of pedophilia was more damaging to society than anything pedophiles could do themselves. Of course. This is how, this is how deranged he got. He said, there are, of course, instances of adults who have done physical damage to children with whom they have attempted sexual contacts. But these cases are in the minority, and the public should learn to distinguish such Uh, serious contacts from other adult contacts, which are not likely to do the child any appreciable harm if the child's parents did not become disturbed. I don't see how he makes that distinction, especially considering that just a few paragraphs earlier, he was interpreting the tears of a traumatized and raped child to be the flood resulting from orgasmic release. Yeah, uh, just a, a slight clarification there. He did not determine what an orgasm was. He allowed the practicing rapist to determine, right? So they, they allowed Rex King because he was the one doing the quote unquote research of raping the children. Okay. They let him decide because he was the experienced one. What do you think a child orgasm looks like? Okay. And, and Kinsey accepted it so that you're not completely wrong, but it wasn't Kinsey who made those, put those uh, qualifiers on an orgasm. It was the pedophiles. Themselves. Okay. I got you still crazy to me. 
But now is. he comes it back is. in. So, so in essence, he's way out in left field on one end. But when he has to deal mm-hmm. with the public, he brings it all in and tries to codify it into something, you know, palatable. Something you can swallow, uh-huh. something you can handle without really realizing, unpacking it and realizing how how despicable it really is. Yeah, it it's horrible. And uh, I have another clip of his colleagues talking about his views on, on pedophilia. Listen to this. In his final years, Kinsey would testify before legislatures and courts that pedophilia was a less dangerous problem than public intolerance of it. Kinsey said some of the most brilliant things imaginable about that. Uh, Pedophilia is an almost non-existent um, uh, kind of crime, and the thing that he hated most about it is that people use words like uh, child molestation. What is that? Nobody knows. Um, (laughs) uh, Abuse of children? Are they talking about bollocks them against the ear or hitting them with a stovepipe? Are they talking about uh, tickling them a little? Uh, are you talking about fondling? You're going to put fondling and death attacks in the same group? As Kinsey said, by this kind of paranoia, you do the child more damage for life than all the pedophiles in the world would do. Uh, you almost have no words for, for how sickening and crazy this thought process is. But I think scripture mm-hmm. really highlights it, which is when it talks well, about in Romans, God turned them over to a debased mind. I think these are the ramblings of a debased person. I would agree. But unfortunately, they're not in a vacuum. These ramblings of a debased mind form the basis of our education and our understanding of sexuality in America. That's got to be alarming. That's got to be yeah. the stunning takeaway. Yeah. And it's still kind of hard to make the connection because, I mean, going through school, I, I went through sex ed. I didn't hear anything about this. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Right. So for the person that's out there that's a little skeptical, like, I don't I don't see the connection. And I think the connection comes in with the the findings because the findings help to produce the how do we call it? They produce the advice that affects the policy. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting there, they, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, because of the, um, the, the nature of the textbooks, right? Like his books that he wrote are, are thick books. They're not books that you're going to be introducing to elementary or middle school children. They're relatively advanced from an intellectual perspective. So you don't get, you don't hear about Kenzie in elementary school and middle school, and most people not even in, in high school. But what it does is this is what is being used to educate the educators. Exactly. In, yes, in academia. So then they get released on the populace with all of these ideas of sexuality and understanding of how it works and when it starts and all of that, and they have all been fed this lie from a deranged mind. Right. So it, it'll be the educators that you'll see on CNN, that you'll see on Fox. It'll be the pundits. They'll be the ones talking. We have Professor so-and-so here. Doctor, what do you think about children being able to masturbate in elementary school? Well, we already know, due to the scientific research that's happened on a collegiate and academic level, that people that, that children are sexual from birth. 
And so there's no problem. There have been extensive studies done that show that children can actually handle multiple orgasms. That's how that, that thing would be pitched. Mm-hmm. And I love that you did that because it sounds excellent. And that's how they would that they would say it. I, but no, say, I felt really no, disgusting saying it so calmly. Yeah, but that that's what they do. And nobody goes the next step to say exactly what the science is, what the research was that tells us this. It's just science and research. Right, right. Then you'll have teachers but, and you'll have you'll you'll have uh superintendents, you know, you'll you'll have school district councils, you'll have all of education councils that are making policy. Sure, we can have this book in our schools. I don't see what the problem is. You know, the the scientists the, the guys in, in uh what do they call them? The the la- guys in lab coats. They've already done the research, they've told it this is this is harmless. You just really need to get over your your Victorian hang ups. Right, mm-hmm. we're we're progressing through. We no longer have these type of prohibitions on our inhibitions. Yes, and we're we're going to move forward as a society. Okay, we're it's time out for all of this nonsense on what we can't do and what we can't express. And the next thing you know, you're going to be like the pastor that I saw on on Instagram who has to read a book that is in the library for children to a school board council and the council tells them it's they don't want to hear it it's too graphic but it's in the library for kids to check out wow talking about when johnny's penis gets hard and he puts it in Susie's wet vagina and they i mean literally describes it like that in detail Jeez. And the people were like i mean literally the folk who who were on the council were like oh no and it wasn't like oh no like we want to take the book away. It was just, I don't want to hear this. And the pastor was like, well, what's the problem? You got it in the library for my kid to check out. Apparently, this needs to be appropriate. Apparently, it's okay if it's in the library. So there is a, a trickle down. There is a connection. So for the person that's going, hey, I didn't hear about any of this when I went through sex ed. You know, it was just gonzo noses and however you look at it. <laughs> I feel like anybody heard that has no idea what I meant. So I'll explain it for the first time I went through sex ed. I remember um, they had a book and the book showed like a, what would it be a cutaway? Like a a side view of the male anatomy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was so, I'll say innocent (laughs) that I looked at it. (laughs) And uh, the only thing I could think of was that the, it just reminded me of like Gonzo's nose from the Muppets. And I was like, he breathes through a tube. This is weird. Why? What does sex ed have to do with the Muppets? Took me forever. That's funny. I was like, and his eyes are in the wrong place. They're underneath his nose. They're supposed to be above the nose. I don't get it. Took me forever (laughs) to figure out really what I was looking at. I was like, oh, wow. Jeez. But yeah, when you go through those, those sessions on sex ed, you don't, you don't hear about this level of, of stuff, (laughs) but there is a connecting tie to it. And it's, while it may not have been as apparent for people who came up through the educational system, like in the the eighties, the nineties, maybe even the early two thousands, it is now becoming more apparent for this revised educational system that is pushing sexual perversity to a new level. And it still yes, has its sure. roots here in what we're talking about. Uh-huh. If you allow me, it wasn't just Rex King who is a practicing pedophile that that contributes to the documentation of, of Kinsey and our understanding of sex. There were more? That, there was at least one more. 
Uh, the other was a former Nazi, Dr. Fritz von... <laughs> Dr. Fritz von Balusek. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, mm. somebody's playing games. Because how could you even put these names together in one document? And be- or Balusek? It's sec. That's too close. <laughs> Yeah, when I first thought, I was like, Dr. Fritz Ballsack, what in the <laughs> world? <laughs> and then I heard people say his name on the documentary. I was like, I got to take a better look at that name. I was like, oh, okay, I see, I see. You know, it's, it's so bad that our minds are, are in, in some ways are so debased. So we, we got we got Dickinson, and we, we got right. Ball You Suck, or Sack. Right. <laughs> but we skip over the fact that he was a Nazi. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah, yeah, we skipped that. We're like, what's his last name? <laughs> Give me the last name. Like, no, I think you should pay attention to the fact that the dude was a Nazi. Right. And and not the Nazi as we call people Nazis today, but he was actually the Nazi commander in a small Polish town. And there he targeted children for sexual assault Hello. and made them cho- He was a real Nazi? Real Nazi. Not just like somebody's like a quote unquote, I mean, he's a Nazi. Like like Brad Pitt would say, we're going to be killing some Nazis. This dude was no, a real like Nazi. A, like a real Nazi. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Now, what were you saying he was doing? He was taking children and he was targeting them for sexual assault, but he would give them a choice. Similar to the choice between like, uh, what was it? The, the, um, the Druids, like you can, you can bob for an apple or you can get in the wicker man. Kind of thing. Oh, okay. The, he would he would allow the children to choose the gas oven or be allowed to be raped by him. Those were their options. What? Yep. Wow. Oh yeah. So when he was on trial for those for the murders of one of his victims, because he had a bunch of victims, but one of them ended up dying, so he ends up going to trial for that. The German police found diaries of molestation and abuse, as well as his correspondence with Alfred Kinsey. So is this what Kinsey so, meant when he said there are, of course, instances of adults who have done physical damage to children with whom they've attempted sexual contact? But these cases are in the minority and the public should learn to distinguish such serious contacts from other adult contacts, which are likely to do the child any appreciable harm. Not likely if the child's parents do not become disturbed. Is this what he's talking about? Because this is the second dude he's interviewing. Right. Who has now killed some one of his victims. Allegedly. Allegedly. Right. He, he actually didn't get convicted of it. He got let off on that, but he, he pled guilty to the molestation of a bunch of others. And a, a, He's like, I didn't, I didn't kill the one. Well, according but I to didn't the clip all played, I mean, what's molestation? Right. And I it doesn't really exist. Because, I mean, I know people who've gotten molested. I've seen yeah. the damage that happens, you know, that gets drawn out for a lifelong damage. And these people mm-hmm. play like, I mean, what's that? How do you define molestation? And if you could define it, what damage is that really doing? I mean, it's not too far different from tickling. I'm like, what? Yep. Tickling. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. And and, and this is now, what is it that America is the leader in child pornography? I wonder why. Yeah. Because this, this forms the foundation of our understanding of sexuality. It's insane. Dude, we haven't even got to sex sales. Huh? Not even there yet. <laughs> right? Like if this is the seed, if this is the is this is, is the the ground level that we're building this entire 
entire structure on sexual understanding upon. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. If this is the Oedipus. Yeah. It's 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 almost hard to believe. Like this is the foundation we're going to build this phallic understanding of our of our society. Yeah. My mind <laughs> is like split. I almost don't know it, which yeah. path to go down in regards to just all these these <laughs> issues that stem from this. Yeah. Yeah. It takes it kind of takes a minute to to let it sink in cuz it's it's not at all what we what we were told growing up. No, you just figured it's this so be a much, few more so much balls. darker, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I know. I get in trouble for saying that from time to time, but I mean seriously, you're like titty balls don't sound harmful, right? Like, right. like, like play mm -hmm. this out this way. If this forms the basis of our sexual understanding in a sex based culture that we that we now are, then that means the things that have extended from it, such as sexual liberation. Right. Such as freedom of expression, such as pornographic yep. material, such as, you know, sexually explicit material. What could be the problem with a little bit more sexual explicit materials? Just a few more titty balls for the viewing. Right. That uh -huh. doesn't sound dangerous. But when it's run yeah. backwards and the reason you got more titty balls on Skinamax is because of an understanding that sex or the access or constant viewing of sex is not harmful. And you're like, where'd you get that study from? All from the meticulous recorded raping of children by a couple pedophiles that we interviewed in prison. What? But 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 Rex and the Nazi weren't even in prison. They were actively doing. Sorry. Correction. They just weren't in prison. That that's the part you should stumble <laughs> over. Yeah, ignore the rest. I don't mean you do, but I'm saying like society when you you work it backwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I wasn't trying to to throw a wrench in your line of thinking. I was just trying to expose the fact that it's way worse. Gotcha. Than just talking to talking to people because like the Interpol and FBI tried to get Kinsey to release information on Volusec because they found his his communications with him right. Mm -hmm refused. I don't know how he got away with it, but refused and said that it was immoral for him to release any information on ValueSec because he he received the information in confident and in, in, in confidential confidence or me because confidentiality of confidentiality issues. Yes, yes, yes. But while under oath, ValueSec told the judge that Kinsey himself asked him to collect the data and report back. So they're not just talking to inmates there. Kinsey was telling Nazis or at least a Nazi to go and rape children and bring the information back and even warned them to be careful. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they, they were taught by, <laughs> by Dickinson and Kinsey, at least Rex and this Nazi guy, how to document, how to time down to the second, the orgasms, sometimes using stopwatches, they were told to measure genitalia, how long it took for penises to get erect, the duration of throbbing in their penises. <sighs> they even charted multiple orgasms for some of the children under prolonged periods of abuse. Uh, in Kinsey's book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, this data is openly available in tables 31, 32, and 34. If you want to get his book, you can see it there. And these tables show the infants as young as two months old, were masturbated to multiple orgasms. And in the case of some four-year-olds, they were masturbated for 24 hours at a time, denoting 26 multiple orgasms. 
And what they thought an orgasm was, was they specifically defined it. A child orgasm was violent convulsions, violent arm and leg movements, weeping, sobbing, and more violent cries, sometimes with an abundance of tears, especially among younger children, fighting, extreme trembling, collapse, loss of color, and sometimes fainting. Some suffer excruciating pain and may scream. That's what they thought orgasms were. This is the information that are in the scientific tables of Kinsey's book. You know what that sounds like to me, though? What? It sounds like scientific research on a certain level. It just doesn't sound like human beings doing the research. Okay. It sounds to me like demonic research. If you had to torture yeah. a human being, ah, oh, that's not that's not torture. That's orgasm. Look at him. But write it write it down. Make sure you document. I mean, the, the fact that you could just have a mindset to capture this, reading what you just read, that all sounds like torture. But it also sounds yeah. like systematic torture. And we constantly hear about this stuff happening in in, in the dark halls of society. In secret places like this is the type of stuff that goes on in military bases. This is the type of stuff we hear yeah. with MK Ultra programming. This is the type of stuff we hear with satanic ritual abuse. It's this type of documented research of how to torture and break down a human being that we see being done at the Tavistock Institute. Which forms the mm-hmm. basis for psychological conditioning and programming that's utilized throughout government agencies and military units. Literally, the torture and breakdown of a human being's soul, the splitting of their of, of their soul, the 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 cracking of their spirit. This is what this torture is, is doing. And this is the research that that is being done based on the torture. Yeah, that's despicable, but it forms so much of the basis of our society. We just don't want to talk about mm-hmm. it. Right. You know, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? We know. Mm. We know. We did the research. Right? Yeah. And and it's put, I, I use that as a specifically, because oftentimes the the means are put in very innocent, very innocent uh dialogue. Very innocent verbiage, just like that. You know, just like that whole mm-hmm. Tootsie Pop type of motif uh we did a little bit of research yeah. uh we, we did some right. studying you know we we interviewed we investigated we did a couple things here but this these were our findings <laughs> and the yeah. real trav tra- travesty and the real tragedy the real despicable nature of the stuff we don't go into any detail on most of us don't even have the stomach to hear the stuff let yeah, alone the it's- resolve to actually search it out to understand this is really what's going on except it always find it fascinates me the people who do seem to have this resolve are either either mm-hmm. people that society says is on the fringe or it's people who are actively involved in satanic ritual abuse and other forms mm-hmm. of luciferianism yeah other forms of satanic worship the, the the ironic thing is that those people also happen to be in very high places in government and in society. Yeah, he. I just I had a a really 
troubling thought. So if there's a lot of people ask why, you know, why do good things have to happen to bad people? You know, like what do you what do you do with child molestation? How could be how could God be so um like allow this stuff to go on or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um but you know, you get into the whole thing of of having free will and things like that. But like you said, a majority of people I'm going to put a spotlight on the church or people that say that they're followers of Jesus Christ. If a majority of these people are unwilling to do what the Bible tells us, which is to expose the works of the enemy, then (laughs) I know there's a lot of people that come out of things like this that have no problem talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like L, you know, um, Laura Sanger has L. She's come out of a lot of this stuff. The, the, um, the lady that came out of Mothers of Darkness. If, if you've actually dealt with this, you have no qualms with putting this front and center and saying, we need to deal with it. Right. You, 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 maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is it is it at all possible that the only reason or one of the reasons it's still going on is because Christians don't have the stomach to put it on the table? Is 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 I would definitely is that too say, much of an accusation? No, I, I wouldn't say it's the only reason, but I would definitely say it is one of the main reasons why. We shouldn't have to wait for children who have already been molested to come forward and be willing to talk about this stuff and what they had to go through before we wake up to the reality that it needs addressed. And we can't only leave it to those that have previously been molested or raped to talk about this stuff. And put it front and center and say that it needs to be dealt with. Exactly. <sighs> That's insane. So I, I was trying to look at um, like the results of his research. Mm-hmm. So sexual behavior in the human male was based on the histories of or 5,300 separate histories, right? 5,300 separate sexual events that created the, the work for that book. Okay. At the very least, the very least, there is at least 1,200 of those histories that account for predatory pedophilia. This doesn't count for the inmates they talk to. This does not count prostitutes they talk to. But the bare minimum is 1,200 of the 5,300 instances that created the foundation of sexual education in America was done and based off of criminal activity. That's 20% of the data. So any of the statistics that, that, that homosexuality is normal, that masturbation is normal, that uh, promiscuity, uh, premarital sex, extramarital sex, that any, any of these things that are normal are skewed by a, a, at least 20% because all of that information comes from criminal activity and predatory pedophilia. Dude, it makes me it's so very angry. Least. And it... <sighs> Angry on multiple levels. Like, I mean, not only is this just sick, and not only are there innocent people that are having their lives and their bodies wrecked, but in a larger sense, this is a pattern that we see. How do you steer the mind of the American public? Lie to them. Put these lies in the form of quote unquote credible scientific research, and they will buy it. They will not investigate. The research itself, they will not see what the studies were done. They will not actually call you on the carpet as a whole. As soon as you say it's scientific research, they'll buy it. 
And you can lie mm-hmm. to us over and over and over. Whether it's talking about sexual education, whether it's talking about food safety, whether it's talking about chemical safety, whether it's talking about any of these number of things. No, no, we haven't seen any sort of conclusive evidence that would tie cigarette smoke to cancer. None whatsoever. <laughs> you mean all these series of privatized studies that you did? What are you talking about? That's confidential work. I don't know what you're talking about. It's protected. We don't know conclusively, publicly speaking, that this stuff has any time. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we know for sure that this particular jab is safe. Mm. Studies have been yeah. done. Well, what's all of these documents here? It's proprietary information. I don't know what you're talking about. The studies show that it's safe. What do you mean mm-hmm. we got people passing out for myocarditis? What? It's, it's a quickening. No, there's no connection whatsoever between the abundant viewing of sexually explicit material and serial killing. We haven't seen any conclusive tie to this. <laughs> yeah. Over and over, we just get lied to and we believe it. Uh-huh. Over, over and, and over. Over. This is the stuff that we're talking about, man. It's just got me. Mm. Yeah, this stuff, it made me so sick to do this research. I had even had a couple good buddies at work that would check on me. They're like, how are you doing? You know, a week into researching this. And they're like, you, you still holding strong? How upset are you? And I'm like, uh, it's it's rough to get through. I'm glad you uh, had that, man, because I, I was praying for you as you were doing this. And I knew we were going to need it having this type of an episode. Yeah, day one, I was like, bro. You got to pray for me to get through this because it is it is some disturbing stuff. But what is equally disturbing is that not everybody has that takeaway from this. Shocking as that may be, you're right. And what one of the people that I think of first when it comes to people who just latched on with both hands and white knuckled Kenzie research is Hugh Hefner. Why? Well, because Hefner was actually, before he met Kinsey, or before he found the, the Kinsey studies, he was a virgin in college. Whoa, he was guided whoa, whoa, whoa. by Dude, some morals. Past that so fast. What do you mean he <laughs> met Kinsey? Well, he didn't meet Kinsey when he was introduced to the Kinsey studies. I didn't even know he was introduced to the Kinsey studies. He was. He found the Kinsey studies when he was in college. And at that point, he was a virgin. And he was like, wait. Wait, if this is what is normal, then I am missing out. And at that moment, he decided he wanted to be the poster child of Alfred Kinsey. What? Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? It's it's fu- it's it's, it's Dude, funny to me because wow. <laughs> if Kinsey's work was legitimate and it was an accurate representation of the cultural mores and and sexual normalcy in America, then it wouldn't take Hugh Hefner having to be introduced to the, to all of this stuff. Being a normal, you know, run of the mill college student, he just would have already been a part of this culture that was happening in college. That's not the case. He had to be introduced and normalized to this stuff. And yeah, it's it's crazy. He embodied the poster child ideal so much that it's actually said that what Epstein was for the East Coast, Hugh Hefner was for the West Coast. Wow. 
Yeah, to go from Virgin to Epstein is, is the effect that Kinsey's work had on one person. Good night. <laughs> yeah, and that was only by reading Kinsey's first book because Hefner launched Playboy magazine the same year that the second book, Sexual Behavior in the uh, Human Female, was released in 1953. So you're sure they never met? I'm not 100% sure that they never met. Okay. But I know he was first introduced to the Kinsey studies. Okay. Do you know if they met in person? I don't. There, there was a documentary, though, uh, where this lady was talking about um, Hugh Hefner and Alfred Kinsey. And I wasn't able to get my hands fully on it. I remember seeing a, a, a clip a while ago about it or from mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know in that if she actually details whether or not they, they actually met. Okay. I today actually, in going through my YouTube history, found that video. So I'll put it in the um, links and resources section on the Patreon oh, that's for awesome. anyone that wants to see that. Was it the full video or just the clip of her talking about the the effect that Kinsey had <laughs> on Hefner? I saw it in my history. I thought it was the full video. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely try to get a hold of that full video. If nothing else, I'll get that clip and put it in there so people can oh, see it. Oh, that's cool. And if you get the whole video, man, I want to see it. Okay, cool. I'll send it I, over I, to What you. I do find fascinating here, though, is the fact that there are several examples through history of people. Well, let me take a step back. A lot of times I think that we suffer within the church this idea that our belief system is 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 antiquated and is not able to fully bear the weight of belief under the pressures of the modern world and modern life. Right? Like it's not sufficient to handle the affairs of humanity. And so we have to in some respect acquiesce to the request of society to move forward or move beyond some of these limitations that are biblically imposed. Right. And we kind of feel this Mm -hmm. need to resolve our biblical position with the social position of the day. But I'm oftentimes amazed when history records the transition a person has from a biblical based view to a completely debunked, based view of the world under satanic freedom. Like you see this with Hefner. Hefner starts out a virgin. You would never associate virginity with Hugh Hefner. Right. He came out of the <laughs> womb, born at a, in a grotto with a robe. And, <laughs> right. And, uh-huh. and he had two, since he, since he's young, he's got two newborn females right with him talking about, Hello. How are you doing? Yeah. Under each arm, I'm Hugh Hefner. <laughs> You'll be coming with me, ladies. Oh, Hugh. That was their first words that they spoke. <laughs> right? You, you would never associate virginity with Hugh Hefner. Yet the mm-hmm. record shows he, he swung. You talk about a swinger. He went from being a virgin to saying, screw this. No pun intended. I'm going all the way full bore in the other direction. Screw mm-hmm. rules. It also amazes me that that Hitler supposedly had the same reaction. Wasn't on a sexuality issue, but he started out in the church. And when offended that God didn't respond back to his answer, his prayer request, the way that he thought he should, he figured God, God sucks. God's dead. He doesn't really answer stuff. Forget it. What am I doing this for? And he <laughs> swings the other direction. Look what's produced. Historically speaking, the effects of society when men, 
give up their belief and biblical based view of the world and swing the other way. It's not good. Blowing my freaking mind. <laughs> yeah. You know what else might blow your mind though? What? Do you know who was the first featured uh, model for Playboy magazine? Mm, I'm going to take a guess. Was it Marilyn? Marilyn Monroe. Yep. The original sex kitten? Uh-huh. That's her. Hey, dude, isn't it wild, though? The original sex kitten is the person that was also under MK Ultra sex kitten programming. Right. How yeah. these worlds yeah. overlap? It's insane. That's and, and, crazy. So for those that don't know, Marilyn Monroe was actually born Norma Jean Mortensen. For her photos that she made for Playboy, she was published under the name of Mona Monroe. I didn't know that, that Marilyn Monroe is not her, her real name. Yeah, it's Norma Jean. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was only paid $50 by freelance photographers to pose nude for two hours. And then those photos were then sold to Hugh Hefner for the first issue of Playboy magazine. Monroe was never paid by Playboy or Hefner for the photos. Wow. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much they made. Oh, way more than 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Marilyn did. She actually admitted to being on the cover of Playboy. She said, uh, I admitted it was me who posed for that nude calendar, even when the Fox executives became nervous and believed this would cause the ruination of any films I would appear in and also the end of my movie career. Of course they were wrong. The fans, my public, cheered when I admitted it was me. And that calendar and that Playboy first issue uh, publicity helped my career. Mm. Yeah. So weird. So weird. And then even stranger than that is that Hugh Hefner, he died in 2017. He purchased the crypt right next to Marilyn Monroe. What? He paid $75,000 for it. And to this day, their bodies lay side by side in Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery. That's crazy. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Hef yeah. Hefner said, I'm a believer in things symbolic. Spending my eternity next to Marilyn is too sweet to pass up. The first MK Ultra sex kitten, the first cover of his Playboy magazine, the birth child, really, of the, the pedophilia and the Kinsey research studies. This stuff is crazy. I think it's wild that, that Hefner admits to the reality of an afterlife. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have never guessed that he believed in an afterlife. Huh? It also has me really interested. He's a believer in things symbolic. It makes me wonder how much that I'm not about to start getting a bunch of Playboy magazines. Research but it's purposes, bro. Research. <laughs> I can see you right now. No, Kayla we, goes we, by. <laughs> what are you doing for Operation Red Pill? I'm reading the articles. <laughs> this, this is all that I'm here for. I'm looking for symbolism. <laughs> oh man, that's, hilarious. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes you wonder what the what the full effects of all of that had on shaping our culture. Right. Right. So we, to, to try to get into it a little bit, I have an idea. You have to tell me if you think I'm right. So through Kinsey, 
we now have the quote unquote science that tells us that masturbation, premarital intercourse, you know, extramarital intercourse, homosexuality, and even bestiality are completely normal within everyday people and should be accepted. Hold on. Didn't Hefner say that, or wasn't there a report about things going down at the Playboy Mansion uh, outside the, the camera lens that had to deal with some real despicable things, including playmates being required to do acts of bestiality? Yes, there was uh, playmates being made to do that. There was um, rape, and there was even his ex-girlfriend said that she walked on a cube performing sex acts on their dog. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's the poster child of Kinsey right there. He got what he wanted. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. Just It took my mind. No, no, that's a, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So we got this science basically that's telling us that all of those things are completely normal within everyday people. And, and I'm sure it's it's elucidating the fact that that not only is it normal, it should be accepted, right? Yeah. And then, so that's the intellectual aspect. Okay. But then Playboy and pornography appeal to the emotional side of us, right? How can something that feels so good be so wrong, right? Seems like there are probably a lot of portos built off of that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> Now, every single one of us is raised in a society that uses these taboos to manipulate us and even control our buying habits. Yes. So, you know, we're steeped in this ever-growing $1,500 per person per year spending by the marketing industry, and it's sexual ideologies. We've not talked about this aspect of it. You know, if they're trying to control what we buy, what we should like, what we should dislike, and even setting the standard of beauty for men and women, even the idea whether or not you're a boobs or a butt guy is born out of this type of indoctrination, I think. Now, around here, we like to say, are you a fruit man or a root man? (laughs) I like the whole treat. I feel like I did something very special with this treat. Yeah, but it really it, it, it should make us think how how much of this has actually been shaped by the pagan sex crazed culture we live in. You know, it, I, I think it would be naive to really think that you know, not that it would be naive to think. I think we have to have an appreciation for the fact that was once what was once ritual sacrificing of infants infants to Moloch mm-hmm. is now women's liberation and my body, my choice. Right. You know, in, in a daily death toll that puts storming the beaches of Normandy to shame. Right. You know, pederasty and molestation of children are now backed up by the mainstream science. And it, it really leaves me wondering what in the world I would even find attractive if I hadn't been to- told by the satanic elite what to look for. And and before I even did this, this Kinsey thing, uh, there's a section of Orwell's 1984 that really had me thinking differently about it. So he's he's looking at a, an aged, heavyset woman singing and doing laundry on her roof. Very different from the David and Bathsheba instance that we find in the Bible. Okay. But <laughs> he makes the comment that why should she be less desirable now after doing exactly what her body was made for, right? She's hanging up the laundry, singing, and, you know, doing the laundry for all of her kids. And she's like um, flush-faced and just you know, not what you would— definitely outside of the standard of beauty, Mm -hmm. right? But it's interesting that in this book, he calls into question that standard. Why should you be put outside of that standard by following through with what the standard is? You know what I mean? 
Like if you're beautiful and you're attractive, then you you meet someone, you get married, you have children, you do all the things that your body was designed to do. Why then are you now less attractive? And I was like, that's actually a really good point. You know, so that's kind of always been uh, a seed in the back of my mind because the the character in Orwell's 1984 is like, why can't she be beautiful as well? Okay. And I was like, okay, well, we know that evolution, evolutionism specifically isn't real. And we're not, as Dawkins tells us, simply dancing to the tune of our DNA. Right. You know, we're not here to only procreate, extend the life of our genetic code. So why is there such a focus on youth? Is it really just because there's a higher chance of successful childbirth? Or, here's the question, or are we being systematically conditioned to accept youth as the standard of beauty? Let that sink in for a minute, realizing that our understanding of sex comes from the raping of children. Bro, that is such a profoundly disturbing idea. And yet, you know, it's such a a necessary consideration because we have to really take a look at what forces are actually pushing the normalization of certain behaviors in society. And I, I like cringe every time I hear you talk about the raping of children, but the reality is that's what really led to the sexual revolution and the sexualized standards that we have today. I mean, that's a lot to, to wrap your mind around and to come to terms with. In fact, I, I think this is probably a good place for us to pause today because I know the content that we've gone over has probably been a bit heavy, a little dark or very heavy and very dark, depending on where you you fall on the scale. But I think people need some time to dissect what they've heard. And we've still got so much more to talk about. I think we're only about halfway through the notes. And I don't really want to rush this because we really do need to do what scripture says and expose the works of darkness. And we got to really expose some of these things that, that Alfred Kinsey was doing as well as his impact on modern society moving forward. But I don't want to overload the people. So I think what we'll do here is just, you know, pause the discussion right now at this point. And then in the coming weeks, pick this back up again with part two. And I think it's going to be a good talk. But until we can come back and have that conversation, we have to remember that we are deployed to this dystopian rock where we fight against the deceptive agendas and occult powers within the satanic elite as we march forward, crushing snakeheads. Snakeheads.